Live from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter, and coming up, we are live from the Wallace and Priscilla Stevenson Intermediate School at White Salmon, Washington, in Mrs. Tarna Simper's classroom with an amazing group of fifth graders and high schoolers and one third grader taking questions about all the beautiful things in the universe. We record this show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and you can join the conversation by leaving a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com. And this is going to be a very exciting show, and I'm so pumped for it. But first, the news. Hello, space fans. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Ohio State. And for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. Got an exciting show for you today on Space Radio where we talk about all the beautiful things in this beautiful universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern. So you can leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com to get your voice on the air. You can also follow along on our live streams on YouTube and Twitch. Go to spaceradioshow.com for the links. But right now, I am live in a classroom with a gang of wonderful kids. Say hi to the world. Hi. Actually, say hi to the universe. Say hi, universe. Hi, universe. That's right. I am taking your questions for the next half hour, and everyone gets to hear my answers that I will make up on the spot. We have never met before. I don't know your questions. I've met you before. I met you at the event last night. That's cool. That's cool. So I have no idea what you're going to ask and I'm gonna make up my answers on the spot. You ready for this? Yes! Let's get started with some awesome questions. Who wants to go first? Boom, what's your name and what's your question? My name is Benjamin Chapman, and my question is, and I've been wondering for a while, what happens if a gas planet gets consumed by a black hole? Ooh, great question, Benjamin. You're asking what happens if a gas giant gets consumed by a black hole? Guess what happens? It gets consumed, totally. So actually, this is really cool. As as a gas giant would approach a black hole, you probably orbit around it and spiral in, getting closer and closer. The part of the planet that's closer to the black hole will have more gravity, more attraction, and so will get pulled into that black hole. And the the gas from that gas giant will actually form a funnel that funnels in to that black hole and the gas will spiral around before falling into the black hole. So it almost look like the, va- the black hole has a, a vacuum hose attached to that gas giant, it'll be sucking down the gas before it finally falls into the black hole itself and gets obliterated. Cool? Totally harsh. We got another question, ready to go? Boom, right here. My name's Graham Beck, and I have a question. If when black holes consume something, do they get bigger? All right, so Graham is asking, when black holes consume something, do they get bigger? The answer is yes. So all the mass, all the stuff inside of a black hole is compressed down into a tiny, 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 tiny little pocket called the singularity, an infinitely dense point. So infinitely tiny. We don't know what the singularity looks like. We don't know what it's made of. We just know it's very, very small. But what we think of as a black hole, the boundary of a black hole is called the event horizon. The event horizon is the limit of what we can see. So if you fall into an event horizon, if you cross that boundary, you never come out. That's the limit. You never, ever, ever come out once you cross an event horizon. Not even light 
can escape. The more stuff, the more mass that's in that singularity, the bigger the event horizon. So yes, black holes get bigger the more they eat. To give you a sense of size, a black hole that's say the mass of the sun has an event horizon a few miles across. It's pretty small, pretty small. There are some black holes that are way bigger. The biggest black holes in the universe are millions or billions of times more massive than the sun. And those things would be able to swallow the entire solar system. They would stretch out to the orbit of Neptune or even the orbit of Pluto. Do you guys remember the picture from the Event Horizon Telescope a few weeks ago? The picture of the black hole? That Event Horizon right there was like the size of our solar system. That was a big black hole. That was a big one. And the more stuff that falls in, the bigger and bigger that Event Horizon gets. We've got time for one more question in this segment right up front. Go. My name is Jindo Bukachita. How dense do you estimate a black hole to be? Is it so dense that a black hole that doesn't have volume of that's possible? Great question. How dense are black holes? So as far as we know, as far as we know, black holes are infinitely dense. So all the stuff, all the stuff that falls into a black hole takes up no space at all. And you're wondering, that doesn't make any sense? No, it doesn't. But that's all we have time for in this segment. We've got more questions right here in this room. Could a black hole be used as a time machine? If so, how? The answer is yes, but not in the way you think. So time travel in our universe is kind of funky. Time travel into the future is allowed because we're all doing it right now. Remember the past? It was in the past. It's not, and it's not now anymore. Now it's the future. Well, I mean, now it's now, but soon the future will be now, right? Soon, right now, will be the past. We are all traveling into the future. So time travel into the future is allowed. Time travel into the past appears to be forbidden, but we don't fully understand why. But you can skip forward into the future if you want to. You can skip forward into the future if you want to. All you have to do, all you have to do is either go really, really, really fast, like close to the speed of light, or you have to experience very strong gravity. If you experience very strong gravity, your clock runs slow. So if you go near a black hole, like near the event horizon of a black hole, everything will feel fine. I mean, yes, there's all the black hole stuff, but like you'll feel fine. Everything's cool. You'll see if you look out, the rest of the universe will appear to be moving in fast forward. And then when you leave near the black hole, now don't fall into the black hole. That's, that, that's the tricky part. But as long as you're near the black hole in that strong gravity, the rest of the universe will appear to be moving and fast forward. Then you come back, you will be in the future. How much depends on how massive the black hole is, how long you hang out there. So like a minute for you could be like a year for everyone else or 10,000 years for everyone else. You can use black holes to skip forward into the future. Fantastic question. Who's next? Right up here. What would happen if two really big black holes collided? Also, my name is Jaden. Jaden is asking what would happen if two really big black holes collided? So black holes, when they collide, they spiral in towards each other like this. And they, as they get closer and closer, the spirals happen faster and faster and faster and faster. And then they merge their event horizons, touch, they kiss, they open up, and then they merge together into a single bigger black hole. And this big black hole will vibrate for a little bit leftovers from the collision, and then it'll eventually settle down. 
And when black holes collide, they don't emit a lot of light, do they? No, yes or no, big yes or big no? No, no that's right. Right, because they're black, right? But they do emit gravitational waves. They do emit waves of gravity, ripples of space-time itself that we can detect here on Earth. And right here in the state of Washington is a gravitational wave detector. It's in Hanford. It's in the middle of the state, in the middle of nowhere, basically. But it's an amazing facility, and it can see gravitational waves. And it sees merging black holes. Another question anywhere? Ooh, really fun question. Is there a possibility of, you know, another creature somewhere in the universe? That's a really good question. What do you guys think? Yes or no? Are there aliens somewhere out there? Yes. You guys think, oh, I, I agree. The universe is huge. The universe is huge. And you know what? I agree. Now, we have no evidence. We have no evidence for any life outside the Earth yet. But the universe is big. Just in our Milky Way galaxy, just in our Milky Way galaxy, we think the number of Earth-like planets, you know, planets that are about the size of the Earth in just the right orbit around their star where liquid water can exist, and the star is like their sun, that number, what do you think? How many copies of Earth do you think are in the Milky Way galaxy? How many think 10? More? Yeah. More? 100. More, more than 100,000? Yes. 12,000. You're thinking down, you're, you're playing Jeopardy or, or Price is Right rules. I like it. Okay. How many think, how many think there's 100,000 copies of the Earth in the Milky Way galaxy? Me. If you, how many think there's a million copies of the Earth? You're thinking around 100? Okay. We, we, we don't know. This is an estimate. There's somewhere around 5 billion copies of the Earth in our Milky Way galaxy. That's our galaxy. Now, does that mean there's 5 billion intelligent species in the galaxy? We don't think so. Does that mean there's 5 billion cases of life in the Milky Way galaxy? We don't think so. We don't know. We honestly don't know how common life is, but it's a big universe. I have to go to break here in a little bit. We're going to take a quick little break. I'm having so much fun here in White Salmon, Washington. So are you guys, right? Yeah! Yes! You can catch the live streams on YouTube and Twitch and also join the conversation by going to spaceradioshow.com. This show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can support the show. And I will see you after the break. Support for 90.5 WCBE and Space Radio comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work, predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got more questions from these amazing kids Yay! here in White Salmon, Washington. Go. I'm Jindal Bocachica, and didn't... Two black holes collide and we felt the gravitational ripples in 2015, but nobody really noticed. Yeah, yeah, so we detected some gravitational waves back in 2015 for the first time, but no one felt it. No one felt it. The reason no one felt it is that gravity is by far the weakest force. Like, you think gravity is weak, it's weaker than that. And gravitational waves are even weaker than that. 
Like gravitational waves are washing through this room right now, but we never feel it. You are being squished and squeezed by gravitational waves, but by less than the width of an atom. That's how weak gravity is. That's why we need these massive detectors that are super sensitive to make this detection happen. And they had to run this experiment for 25 years. They started the LIGO experiment before you were even born. And it took them that long to finally get enough sensitivity that they could actually make a detection. Excellent follow-up question. We got more. We're asking about dark matter, which is a form of matter in our universe. Is it baryonic? Is it mesonic? Is it something else? So we know the existence of dark matter because we look at things like entire galaxies in the orbits of stars, for example, the orbits of stars inside of galaxies. The stars are moving way too fast. Galaxies should have torn themselves apart billions of years ago, but no, they're just hanging on. So there has to be something inside of galaxies that isn't interacting with light, that isn't glowing, but still has gravity, so it can hold on to all those stars. We call this dark matter. Dark matter is, by definition, not baryonic. Baryonic matter interacts with light. It can emit light, or absorb light, or refract, or transmit. Dark matter, whatever it is, is not doing any of that. It simply ignores light. So it's a new form of matter. It's not mesonic, because mesons also interact with light. It's something else. We have no clue what it is. It's some particle. We suspect it's some particle. We suspect there is dark matter streaming through the room right now. Like we're just flooded in a sea of dark matter. But it doesn't interact with us except through gravity. What is it? It's some new form of particle beyond current physics. We honestly don't know. So we're talking about another thing in our universe that we don't understand, which is called the, the dark energy. Dark energy is the name we give to the accelerated expansion of our universe. Our universe is basically blowing up right now, and we don't understand why. And you have to wonder, we have four forces of nature that we know about. Does anyone know the forces of nature? We got gravity. We've got strong nuclear, weak nuclear, and electromagnetism. So the weak nuclear force, if you want it to be, the problem with it being dark energy is that the weak nuclear force is very, very short range. It can only go like that far. And, I'm, and for those of you listening on the radio, I'm, I'm holding my fingers very, very close together. It just can't go very far. So dark energy is something that's happening to the whole entire universe at billions of light years across. The weak nuclear force just isn't a player there. Is it like the weak nuclear force? We don't know. It doesn't appear to be a new force of nature. We think it's something else. We think it's a substance that fills up the vacuum of space-time itself. But honestly, we don't know. We know even less about dark energy than we do about dark matter. We know it exists. We know it's there. We know our universe is blowing up. But we don't understand what's causing it. It's just big blank spot right now. Another question, go. On Earth, we have decomposers, and when you die or something dies, the decomposers decompose it. But uh, we were doing an experiment where we were trying to figure out how humans would live on Mars. But I was wondering, what would happen if a human or something died on Mars? All right, I love how you're getting very dark and morbid right now. <laughs> uh, uh, the question is, the question is, it, you know, on Earth, if you die, there's lots of bacteria and stuff that eat you and you decompose you. Now, if you die on Mars, what would happen? Like, obviously there's no bacteria on Mars that we know of. Uh, and so nothing from the environment is gonna eat you, but 
you have a bunch of critters inside of you, right? In fact, I think you have more bacteria than you do cells inside your body. And I suppose some of them would love to feast on your rotting guts if you were to die. They're just waiting for the opportunity. So you might partially decompose, but I imagine it might be something like mummification, like like preserving bodies in sand in desert environments where you might shrivel up and stuff and part of you might decompose. But I suspect you're going to end up with a bunch of Martian, Martian mummies. Marmies. It's a new thing. You can clap for marmies. Yes. I like clapping for marmies. Question, go. Is it possible to rebuild is it possible to rebuild an atmosphere? So this question comes up when we look at Mars. Mars basically has no air. has like 1% the air that, that the Earth does. But there's a lot of frozen water inside of the crust of Mars. So if you were to liberate it, as in blow up the crust of Mars, you might get that water up into the atmosphere. Now, how much water is in there? We're not sure. You could probably raise the air pressure on Mars to be around 5% that of the Earth. That's about it. Uh, but, but you're not going to get very far. Mars has lost its air. Follow up. Go. So I'm pretty sure that the theory is uh, the sun produced solar rays and it blew away Mars' atmosphere, of course solidified, and the iron stopped moving. Uh, in the atmosphere is abated and it started to reflect. So um, wouldn't you have to like rebuild the magnetosphere so it could protect itself from from the solar winds and then you could Right. So the follow-up question is, Mars lost its atmosphere because it lost its magnetic field and the solar wind blew the Martian atmosphere away. So if you were to rebuild the atmosphere, you'd want to give it that protective force field. You need a new magnetic field. It took Mars about 100 million years to lose its atmosphere. So if we were to rebuild it, we'd be good for 100 million years. Now, if you want to last longer than 100 million years, you need a magnetic field for that. We're almost out of time today on Space Radio, but before we go, we have time for just a couple more questions. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is The Blue Shift, which is usually my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you, but instead I'm answering more questions. Ready, go. When Earth crashes or dies because of global warming or something, what planet would we most likely go to to survive the longest? Oh, so when we finally kill... Uh, Mother Gaia Earth with our greenhouse gas emissions. Where do we go? The answer is nowhere. Every place else in the solar system is horrible. And it's way harder to try to do something over there than try to fix the Earth. It's way easier. So let's, let's try not to do that. <laughs> All right, next question. Can I explain particle spin? Particles, like tiny little things like electrons and quarks, have certain properties. They have mass. They have electric charge. They also have a property called spin, which means if you shoot them through a magnetic field, sometimes the particles will angle up and sometimes the particles will angle down. And that is something we call spin. It is a fundamental property of all particles. Another question, go. So I read a book like Weird But True and I heard that there is a planet out in the universe that is three-fourths made of diamonds. Um, is that true? Is there a planet that is three-quarters made of diamonds? I don't 
think so. There are definitely some weird planets out there, even beyond the solar system. But one that's three-quarters diamond, there are ones that rain diamonds. In fact, the ice giants of our own solar system, Neptune and Uranus, will rain diamonds in their atmosphere, which is, for me, weird enough. Green shirt, go. My name is Jackson Sola, and uh, what do you think would happen when Andromeda and the Milky Way collide. Ooh, Jackson's asking what would happen when the Milky Way and Andromeda collide. So we've actually performed computer simulations of this event, and uh, they're coming. The two galaxies are coming in at an angle like this, and what's going to happen is they're going to mix together. All the stars are going to start to mix together. All the spiral arms are going to get destroyed and warped. All the galaxies are going to become a massive wreck. And because of the interactions, there's going to be a new round of star formation. There'll be a big flashes. There'll be tons of new stars produced, but that will use up all the gas and fuel that's available in a galaxy. So after the end of the collision, the collision will take a few hundred million years to go through. There'll be a tangled, wrecked lump of old, dead, dying stars. It will be the end of our galaxies. That is dark and that is a perfect way to end the show. Unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this Voyage of Space Radio and thanks again to these awesome students here in White Salmon, Washington. Yeah. Okay, we'll work on timing for the next next time I come back. We'll, we'll have a better sense of timing. I'm Paul Sutter. This show is brought to you by the Ohio State University Department of Astronomy. Learn more at astronomy.osu.edu. This show is also brought to you by you. Visit patreon.com slash PM Sutter to learn how you can contribute. Everyone say thanks to Greg Mobius. Say thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. For producing. Say thanks to Nancy for wrangling the space cadets. Thanks, Nancy, for wrangling very verbatim. Thanks to Dan Michalko for being awesome. Thanks for Dan And thanks to the honorary space cadets here live with me today. Blah, blah, blah. Good enough. Go to spaceradioshow.com for more info. And of course, thanks again, Earthlings, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing. End of transmission. 